Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody come back, Isn't that so? You tried to get into the locked drawer today, didn't you? The Werewolf by Eugene Field In the reign of Egbert the Saxon, there dwelt in Britain a maiden named Isolt, who was beloved of all, both for her goodness and for her beauty. But though many a youth came wooing her, she loved Harold only, and to him she plighted her troth. Among the other youth of whom Isolt was beloved was Alfred, and he was so angered that Isolt showed favour to Harold, so that one day Alfred said to Harold, Is it right that old Siegfried should come from his grave and have Isolt to wife? Then added he, Prithee good sir, why do you turn so white when I speak your grandsire's name? Then Harold asked, What know you of Siegfried that you taunt me? What memory of him should vex me now? We know, and we know, retorted Alfred. There are some tales told us by our grandmas we have not forgot. So ever after that, Alfred's words and Alfred's bitter smile haunted Harold by day and night. Harold's grandsire, Siegfried the Teuton, had been a man of cruel violence. The legend said that a curse rested upon him, and that at certain times he was possessed of an evil spirit that wreaked its fury on mankind. But Siegfried had been dead full many years, and there was naught to mind the world of him save the legend, and a cunning wrought spear which he had had from Brunhilde the witch. This spear was such a weapon that it never lost its brightness, nor had its point been blunted. It hung in Harold's chamber, and it was the marvel among weapons of that time. Isolt knew that Alfred loved her, but she did not know of the bitter words which Alfred had spoken to Harold. Her love for Harold was perfect in its trust and gentleness, but Alfred had hit the truth. The curse of old Siegfried was upon Harold, slumbering a century it had awakened in the blood of his grandson, and Harold knew the curse that was upon him and it was this that seemed to stand between him and Isolt. But love is stronger than all else, and Harold loved. Harold did not tell Isolt of the curse that was upon him, for he feared that she would not love him if she knew. Whensoever he felt the fire of the curse burning in his veins, he would say to her, Tomorrow I hunt the wild boar in the uttermost forest, or... Next week I go stag-stalking among the distant northern hills. Even so it was that he ever made good excuse for his absence, and Isolt thought no evil things, for she was trustful. Aye, though he went many times away and was long gone, Isolt suspected no wrong, so none beheld Harold when the curse was upon him in its violence. Alfred alone bethought himself of evil things. "'Tis passing strange,' quoth he, "'that ever and anon this gallant lover "'should quit our company "'and betake himself whither none knoweth. "'In sooth, twill be well to have an eye "'on old Siegfried's grandson.' "'Harold knew that Alfred watched him zealously, "'and he was tormented by a constant fear "'that Alfred would discover the curse that was on him, 
but what gave him greater anguish was the fear that mayhap at some moment when he was in Isolde's presence the curse would seize upon him and cause him to do great evil unto her, whereby she would be destroyed, or her love for him would be undone for ever. So Harold lived in terror, feeling that his love was hopeless, yet knowing not how to combat it. Now it befell in those times that the country round about was ravaged of a werewolf, a creature that was feared by all men, however so valorous. This werewolf was by day a man, but by night a wolf, given to ravage and to slaughter, and having a charmed life against which no human agency availed aught. Wheresoever he went, he attacked and devoured mankind, spreading terror and desolation round about. And the dream-readers said that the earth would not be freed from the werewolf until some man offered himself a voluntary sacrifice to the monster's rage. Now, although Harold was known far and wide as a mighty huntsman, he had never set forth to hunt the werewolf, and strange you know, the werewolf never ravaged the domain while Harold was therein. Whereat Alfred marvelled much, and oftentimes he said, Ah, Harold is a wondrous huntsman, who is like unto him in stalking the timid doe and in crippling the fleeing boar. But how passing well doth he time his absence from the haunts of the werewolf? Such valour beseemeth our young Siegfried which being brought to Harold, his heart flamed with anger, but he made no answer, lest he betray the truth he feared. It happened so about that time that Isolde said to Harold, Wilt thou go with me to-morrow, even to the feasts in the sacred grove? That can I not do, answered Harold. I am privily summoned hence to Normandy, upon a mission of which I shall some time tell thee, and I pray thee, on thy love for me, Go not to the feast in the sacred grove without me. What sayest thou? cried Isolde. Shall I not go to the feast of St. Elfrida? My father would be sore displeased were I not there with the other maidens. Twere greatest pity that I should despite his love thus. But do not, I beseech thee, Harold implored, go not to the feast of St. Elfrida in the sacred grove, and thou would thus love me. Go not, see, thou my life, on my two knees I ask it. How pale thou art, said Isolde, and trembling. Go not to the sacred grove upon the morrow night, he begged. Isolde marvelled at his acts and at his speech. Then, for the first time, she thought him to be jealous, whereat she secretly rejoiced, being a woman. Ah, quoth he, thou dost doubt my love. But when she saw a look of pain come on his face, she added, as if she repented of the words she had spoken, Or dost thou fear the werewolf? Then Harold answered, fixing his eyes on hers, Thou hast said it, it is the werewolf that I fear. Why dost thou look at me so strangely, Harold? cried Isolt. By the cruel light in thine eyes, one might almost take thee to be the werewolf. Come hither, sit beside me, said Harold, tremblingly, and I will tell thee why I fear to have thee go to the feast of St. Elfrida tomorrow evening. Hear what I dreamed last night. I dreamed I was the werewolf. Uh, do not shudder, dear love, uh, for it was only a dream. 
A grizzled old man stood at my bedside and strove to pluck my soul from my bosom. What wouldst thou? I cried. Thy soul is mine, he said. Thou shalt live out my curse. Give me thy soul, hold back thy hands. Give me thy soul, I say. Thy curse shall not be upon me, I cried. What have I done that thy curse should rest upon me? Thou shalt not have my soul. For my offence shalt thou suffer, and in my curse thou shalt endure hell. It is so decreed. So spake the old man, and he strove with me, and he prevailed against me, and he plucked my soul from my bosom, and he said, Go, search, and kill, and, and, and lo, I was a wolf upon the moor. The dry grass crackled beneath my tread. The darkness of the night was heavy, and it oppressed me. Strange horrors tortured my soul, and it groaned and groaned, jailed in that wolfish body. The wind whispered to me with its myriad voices. It spake to me and said, Go, search, and kill. And above these voices sounded the hideous laughter of an old man. I fled the moor, whither I knew not, nor knew I what motive lashed me on. I came to a river, and I plunged in. A burning thirst consumed me, and I lapped the waters of the river. They were waves of flame, and they flashed around me and hissed, and what they said was, Go, search, and kill. And I heard the old man's laughter again. A forest lay before me with its gloomy thickets and its sombre shadows, with its ravens, its vampires, its serpents, its reptiles, and all its hideous brood of night. I darted among its thorns and crouched amid the leaves, the nettles and the brambles. The owls hooted at me and the thorns pierced my flesh. Go, search and kill said everything. The hares sprang from my pathway. The other beasts ran bellowing away. Every form of life shrieked in my ears. The curse was upon me. I was the werewolf. On, on I went with the fleetness of the wind, and my soul groaned in its wolfish prison, and the winds and the waters and the trees bade me go, Search and kill, thou accursed brute. Go, search and kill. Nowhere was there pity for the wolf. What mercy thus should I, the werewolf, show? The curse was on me, and it filled me with a hunger and a thirst for blood. Skulking on my way within myself, I cried, Let me have blood, oh, let me have human blood, that this wrath may be appeased, that this curse may be removed. At last I came to the sacred grove. Sombre loomed the poplars, the oaks frowned upon me. Before me stood an old man. T'was he, grizzled and taunting, whose curse I bore. He feared me not. All other living things fled before me, but the old man feared me not. A maiden stood beside him. She did not see me, for she was blind. Kill! Kill, cried the old man, and he pointed at the girl beside him. Hell raged within me, the curse impelled me. 
I sprang at her throat. I heard the old man's laughter once more. And then, then I awoke, trembling, cold, horrified. Scarce was this dream told when Alfred strode the way. Now, by our lady, quoth he, I bethink me never to have seen a sorrier twain. Then Isolt told him of Harold's going away, and how that Harold had besought her not to venture to the feast of St. Elfrida in the sacred grove. These fears are childish, cried Alfred boastfully, and thou sufferest me, sweet lady, I will bear thee company to the feast, and a score of my lusty yeomen with their good yew bows and honest spears, they shall attend me. There be no werewolf, I trow, will chance about with us. Whereat Isolt laughed merrily, and Harold said, "'Tis well, thou shalt go to the sacred grove, and may my love and heaven's grace forfend all evil. Then Harold went to his abode, and he fetched old Siegfried's spear back unto Isolt, and he gave it into her two hands, saying, "'Take this spear with thee to the feast to-morrow night. It's old Siegfried's spear, possessing mighty virtue and marvellous.' And Harold took Isolt to his heart and blessed her, and he kissed her upon her brow and upon her lips, saying, Farewell, O my beloved, how wilt thou love me when thou knowest my sacrifice? Farewell, farewell for ever, O older leafest mine. So Harold went his way, and Isolt was lost in wonderment. On the morrow night came Isolt to the sacred grove wherein the feast was spread, and she bore old Siegfried's spear with her in her girdle. Alfred attended her, and a score of lusty yeomen were with him. In the grove there was great merriment, and with singing and dancing and games withal did the honest folk celebrate the feast of the fair St. Elfrida. But suddenly a mighty tumult arose, and there were cries of, The werewolf! The werewolf! Terror seized upon all, stout hearts were frozen with fear. Out from the further forest rushed the werewolf, wood wroth, bellowing hoarsely, gnashing his fangs and tossing hither and thither the yellow foam from his snapping jaws. He sought Isolt straight, as if an evil power drew him to the spot where she stood, but Isolt was not afeard, like a marble statue she stood and saw the werewolves coming. The yeomen, dropping their torches and casting aside their bows, had fled. Alfred alone abided there to do the monster battle. At the approaching wolf he hurled his heavy lance, but as it struck the werewolves bristling back, the weapon was all to shivered. The werewolf saw the shining weapon, and a cry burst from his gaping throat, a cry of human agony. And Isolt saw in the werewolf's eyes the eyes of someone she had seen and known, but was for an instant only, and then the eyes were no longer human, but wolfish in their ferocity. A supernatural force seemed to speed the spear in its flight, with fearful precision the weapon smote home, and buried itself by half its length in the werewolf's shaggy breast just above the heart, and then, with a monstrous sigh, as if he yielded up his life without regret, the werewolf fell dead in the shadow of the yews. Then 
Ah, then, in very truth, there was great joy, and loud were the acclaims, while beautiful in her trembling pallor, Isolt was led unto her home, where the people set about to give great feasts to do her homage. For the werewolf was dead, and she it was that had slain him. But Isolt cried out, Go, search for Harold, go, bring him to me, nor eat nor sleep till he be found. Good, my lady, quoth Alfred, how can that be, since he hath betaken himself to Normandy? I care not where he be, she cried, my heart stands still until I look into his eyes again. Surely he hath not gone to Normandy, outspake Hubert, this very eventide I saw him enter his abode. They hastened thither, a vast company. His chamber door was barred. Harold, Harold, come forth, they cried, as they beat upon the door. But no answer came to their calls and knockings. Afeared, they battered down the door, and when it fell, they saw that Harold lay upon his bed. He sleeps, said one. See, he holds a portrait in his hand, and it is her portrait. How fair he is, and how tranquilly he sleeps. But no, Harold was not asleep. His face was calm and beautiful, as if he dreamed of his beloved. But his raiment was red with the blood that streamed from a wound in his breast, a gaping, ghastly spear wound, just above his heart. Everybody dies, don't they? Everybody dies, don't they? Isn't that so? That was The Werewolf by Eugene Field, born September 2nd, 1850, and died November 4th, 1895. So Field, um, I had never come across him before, which to my great ignorance and uh, shame, but he's uh, well known, he's from Kansas, uh, and he was very well known as a children's author and uh, a writer of poetry and light-hearted stuff. Apparently he's the author of such um, poems as Little Boy Blue and Wink and Blinkin' and Nod, which I do know about. Um, he had a bit of a tragic upbringing. He, he, uh, his father was a lawyer, an eminent lawyer, who represented um, a, an anti-slavery campaigner and it was said that that, that defence, Dred Scott, this guy was called, who was a slave who sued for his freedom, and uh, his father, Roswell Martinfield, uh, filed the complaint in the Dred Scott versus Sanford case, sometimes referred to as the lawsuit that started the Civil War on behalf of Dred Scott in the Federal Court in St. Louis, Missouri, Missouri, where it, whence it progressed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, he, his father died when he was only 19, when he just started at Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts, and he wasn't able to continue as at that school. So he went to Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, but dropped out after a year, followed by the University of Missouri in Columbia, uh, where his brother was attending. He was not a serious student, it says, and spent much of his time at school playing practical jokes led raids on the president's wine cellar, painted the president's house school colours, and fired the school's landmark cannons at midnight. 
he tried acting and he studied law but didn't um, do much with either of those. He did start writing for the student newspaper, which was predict his future. He then set off for a trip for Europe um, and came back after six months uh, with no money. So he, he was actually born at um, in St. Louis at 634 South Broadway, and his house uh, is the Eugene Field House and St. Louis Toy Museum. His mother died when he was young also. Uh, she died in 1856. I should be able to... He was born in 1850, so he was a tiny boy, you know, really six. And he found care under an aunt, Mary Field French, in Amherst, Massachusetts, hence the Massachusetts connection. Um... He, as we know, all these pranks that he, after after he did that, and he didn't do very well at college, he set to work as a journalist for the St. Joseph Gazette in St. Joseph, Missouri in 1875. And that same year, he married Julia Comstock, and he had eight children with her, which was not too unusual in those days, but uh, unusual now. For the rest of his life, he arranged for all the money he earned to be sent to his wife, saying that he had no need for money himself. He became editor of the Gazette and wrote light, humorous articles in the gossipy style, which were then um, syndicated, at least reprinted in other newspapers around the country. And he wrote a famous poem, Lover's Lane, about a street in St. Joseph, Missouri. From 1876 to 1880, he lived in St. Louis as editorial writer, or St. Louis, isn't it? I don't know, do you say St. Louis or St. Louis? Um, St. Louis, I think, probably you say. First as an editorial writer for the Morning Journal and subsequently for the Times Journal. He worked for two years, so he was a journalist. He lived in Chicago from 1883 and wrote a, a numerous um, a, a, a column called Sharps and Flats for the Chicago Daily News. Uh, so, but he, he, he's, his poetry started taking off in 1879 when he wrote a poem, Christmas Treasures, and that was um, anthologized in a little book of Western verse. And, it, of course, Wink and Blink and the Nod is famous, The Duel also known as the Gingham Dog and the Calico Cat, and then the Little Boy Blue story about the death of a child. So he's a bit of a lad, really. Um, well, I think that's a, a nonsensical thing to say there. He has his own star on the St. Louis, I'm going to keep saying St. Louis, I can't help it, Walk of Fame, uh, and in 2016 was inducted into the Chicago Literary Hall of Fame. Um, there's a statue of the Dream Lady from his poem Rockabye Lady, erected in 1922 in Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. So the more I read about the guy, the more I'm ashamed that I know uh, very little about him. Um, this story, The Werewolf, I, the, it's, I got it from a Gutenberg, uh, the second book of tales, and it, and it was published 11, in 1911, I think, at, 10 years after he died. He can do the mass. What did I say he died? I, for, I forgot when I say he died, when he died. But uh, um, yeah, so this was 10 years after he died. And uh, uh, an admirer collected a lot of his previously unpublished po um, stories, rather. These are his stories in the second book of, of Collected Tales. Now, there is another story that said that this, this the werewolf had been previously published in some ladies' magazine. But as far as I can tell, it was previously unpublished until he had been dead 10 years so it's a it's a neat little story and it's a short story um you may look if you look recently i've been giving you rather rather long stories um hour plus and i thought uh giving myself a rest and maybe for those of you who prefer a shorter story we we'll just do this and i haven't done a werewolf story for uh, a long time there is another werewolf story i've got my eye on 
but it's longish. It's like a, it's a novel or a novella, really. So that might have to be a Monday story. You probably know that I do the longer stories on Monday, although I'm having a little break. This is my summer kind of, I'm do, going away for weeks and things now coming to a close, really. I'm off again tomorrow for two days. Back on Tuesday, um, then I'm no, going nowhere for a month, and then I'm not going anywhere ever again. I'm just going to record stories for you. That's probably not completely true. I may do other things. I go to work as well. But um, but there we are. So this is a, a short one. We've just been on a boat. I, I tend to, I don't know if you know, I've got a, a sister podcast called Late Night Sleep Radio. And how that happened was, and those of you who've heard this, forgive me for repeating myself. But um, I found out when I started doing classic ghost story podcast i didn't realize the amount of people who use these stories to fall asleep to in fact it appears that the primary purpose of this podcast is to get people to sleep um you know better or worse that's what it is so i thought listen if there's such a demand for getting people to sleep why don't i why don't i talk people to sleep on my other podcast so i'm, I'm probably going to talk more about the the boat trip on that one late night sleeper radio um, and on this one, I'm going to leave you with a really short episode. I hope you're all well. Um, don't write me any angry comments, those who like the longer stories. Go, tell you what, go and listen to the longer stories instead, of which there are plenty. Those of you who like the shorter stories, then please do say nice things. Um, okay, I hope you're all well. I, I've already said that. I'm well. The dogs are well. I, what I will say is when we're on the boat, it was quite stressful because the dogs... Um, got this habit of as soon as we went close to the bank, because it's a canal, so it's relatively narrow, and as you're manoeuvring the boat, the end of the boat, the the stern, as we call it in the trade, when the, the, the bow is yawing, uh, it would get close to the bank, and the dogs would jump off. And at this particular time, I'm kind of avoid this other boat coming at me. I do a turn, get the, the, the stern close to the bank. Jump, Jasper jumps off. We sail on. Oh, it's an engine, really. It's not a sail, and uh, and he's looking, going, "What? What? Where, where are you going?" I'm like, "Well, what did you think would happen?" I say to him, but him, and he, in my imagination, he says to me, "Well, I, I don't know. I'm just a pup." So, and that's pups don't really know. They don't think things through. I think that's a problem. Um, but it was we had nice weather. So I told you I wasn't going to say anything about this whole thing, and I just did. So I'm going to be quiet now and lead you into the um, spooky music of the Hartwood Institute, and just for those who are listening who don't know this, the, the sample line is from a 1970s horror movie called Psychomania about um, demonic motorbike riders in rural England, okay? Classic piece. Uh, the, the, and it does sound like the locked drawer, but in fact it is the locked door. It sounds still to my ear as if she's saying locked drawer with a r rather than door. But there we are. So many people ask that. And the music is by the Hartwood Institute. And thank you once again to Jonathan for letting me use it. And thanks to everybody who supports the podcast. I invite you to consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Patreons perform a really useful task for me in that they give me the wherewithal, the finance through their contributions to enable me to devote time to producing stories for you. So it's actually really helpful if you want to hear more stories. 
And um, there is a big, on Patreon, there is a big uh, backlog of stories, a big library of stories that you can access by becoming a patron. You can download them as well, which is more difficult on podcasts and on YouTube. But if you want to become a patron, you get the double whammy of supporting my work, which enables me to do more work. Imagine that. You pay me to do more, and I do more work for you and produce more stories for you, which is, and, and you know, I appreciate it, so you get my love and gratitude. And also, you get access to a big backlog of stories and members-only stories. Every month I do at least one members-only story. So it's kind of a really good thing to do. And I would just like to invite you to consider becoming a Patreon. It's hard to say links, but this is www.patreon.com forward slash barcud, B-A-R-C-U-D. That's me. See you there.